Hey there, and welcome to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where today we go beyond the final scene of Matthew Vaughn's action spy flick, Argyle. On today's show, we'll dive into the best moments, the worst moments, and where Argyle lands on Matthew Vaughn's filmography. There's going to be a massive juxtaposition between this week's episode and what you guys might have heard last week with the Mulholland Drive. Our Mulholland Drive episode was more of an analysis of sorts. We went into some of the critical thinking and theory behind that film. Whereas today, this one's going to be more laid back. It's just a simple review. I tell you what I liked, what I disliked, and what my overall thoughts were of the film. I'm not saying that this film doesn't really have the substance beyond the surface level entertainment that Maha and Drive had, but this is very much a surface level film. It's not as deep or as theoretical as Maha and Drive was. It's a fun shoot 'em up with a convoluted plot. <laughs> now, even though the movie is a bit straightforward, I did struggle a bit with what I thought about this movie. There are some things that I really liked and some things I didn't, and you'll learn more about it in a bit. But first, let's get down to business and look ahead for the show. It's a new month, and we have a new lineup of films to cover. So here are the upcoming episodes for the month of February. Next week, February 12th, I'm bringing you guys back another edition of my Guilty Pleasures. Guilty Pleasures is a series of episodes where I rewatch movies that are critically panned that I happen to have loved when I was younger. And next week's show is a special Valentine's Day edition, where I'll be reviewing Just Married, starring Brittany Murphy and Ashton Kutcher, and The Proposal, starring Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. The following week, on February 19th, we have the highly anticipated, if you're into bad movies, <laughs> Madame Webb with Dakota Johnson. And then we finish out the month of February on the 26th with the biopic Bob Marley, One Love. I think February is a solid month. We have some action to look forward to, some romance, and One Love has me fascinated into learning more about Bob Marley. And to kick off February, it's time that we start this show off with Act 1, my expectations for the film, Argyle. In Argyle, a reclusive author who writes espionage novels about a secret agent and a global spy syndicate realizes the plot of the new book she's writing starts to mirror real-world events in real time. Argyle is directed by Matthew Vaughn, famous for X-Men First Class, Kingsman The Secret Service, and Kick-Ass. And it's written by Jason Fuchs, who wrote Wonder Woman, Ice Age Continental Drift, and It Chapter 2. The film stars Bryce Dallas Howard as Ellie Conway, Sam Rockwell as Aiden Wilde, Brian Cranston as Director Ritter, Catherine O'Hara as Ruth, and Henry Cavill as Argyle. Now, during the mid-2010s, Matthew Vaughn hit his stride. Coming off the success of Kick-Ass, the director went on to direct, in my opinion, probably the best X-Men film of all time, and that is X-Men First Class. So, quick side note. There's a theater about five miles away from where I live where they used to show new release movies for about five bucks, as long as you went before 4 p.m. They even had special pricing for concessions and stuff, like $2 hot dogs, $3 drinks, etc. I remember vividly going to that theater a lot because not only the cheap concessions and tickets, but also there was a Taco Bell nearby. You'd throw a couple of chalupas and stuff into my girlfriend's bag and we'd go in, watch the movie, and have a good time. I had so many fond memories of that theater. It's where I actually, to this day, I it's the theater where I walked out of the first and only movie of my life. I've only walked out of one film, 
And that movie was X-Men Origins Wolverine. (laughs) Now, I know Fox had planned two X-Men Origins films. There was going to be Wolverine and Magneto. But after the disaster of X-Men 3 and now X-Men Origins Wolverine, the studio had to pivot their plans a little bit. Instead of focusing solely on Magneto, they hatched the idea of First Class. Thus, Matthew Vaughn was brought onto the project. I thought I was completely finished with X-Men on the big screen until Vaughn single-handedly saved the franchise. First Class didn't just reestablish the Fox universe of Marvel movies, but it put Matthew Vaughn on the map as a big-time Hollywood director. And funnily enough, I watched First Class in the same theater that I walked out of Wolverine at. (laughs) Only this time I was way happier and uh, much more satisfied. Vaughn's energetic style to capture action was a breath of fresh air, complemented by the strong performances he brought out of Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, and Jennifer Lawrence. Now batting two for two in successful comic book adaptations, Matthew Vaughn was now tasked with helming another comic book franchise, known as Kingsman, based on the novel The Secret Service. Kingsman blew me away, from its subversive narrative choices to the Kentucky church fight scene. The movie had such a flair and energy to it that is truly unique and fun. I could watch that movie over and over again. And I really liked Vaughn's use of camera tracking, the licensed music in it, and the blunt sense of humor. But his spotless trilogy of great films hit a snag in 2017. Matthew Vaughn declined to return to the director's chair of X-Men Days of Future Past, and instead went on to work on Kingsman The Golden Circle. Although it was the studio's decision to hire Brian Singer for Days of Future Past, this choice ultimately affected Vaughn's future. The Golden Circle was a bad movie. Like, really fucking bad. (laughs) I hated that movie. (laughs) The Golden Circle felt like a director who wanted to play his greatest hits in an extremely cynical and incoherent way. I get that Vaughn loves shock factors in each film he does, killing off central protagonists unexpectedly, then challenging the hero to rise for themselves, but this movie undid the work of the first movie, and then some. And the poor reception of the movie led to a lot of people, myself included, not even giving The Kingsman, the third movie in the Kingsman franchise, no one gave that movie a chance. Now, to be fair, The Kingsman is a whole lot better than The Golden Circle. No one ever refers to or talks about that movie. It's like it just came and went. And it sucks because The Kingsman is actually pretty good, and the plot twist in the middle of the film really caught me by surprise. Is Matthew Vaughn a bad director? Not at all. You could definitely see some influence from Guy Ritchie and Edgar Wright in his work. All three of these men are very divisive visionaries with kinetic artistry in their work you can tell the flair and the style that they present on screen. For Vaughn, Argyle needed to separate itself from its art. It needed to stand on its own legs. A film to reset the narrative, to reestablish him as a blockbuster caliber visionary, and an opportunity to redeem himself of his latest string of flops. It's now time to answer the question, is Argyle a worthy successor to James Bond and the Kingsman? Let's get to Act 2, my spoiler-free review. For new release films, I believe in a fair spoiler-free review format, meaning that if you wish to hear about spoiler plot details for Argyle, please stay tuned for after the show's outro for the post-credit spoiler discussion. After thinking pretty hard for the past couple days, waffling back and forth on whether I like this film or not, I think I've settled onto laying into it, honestly. 
I think Argyle is a misguided, unfortunate example of a writer and director pairing that thinks they're too clever for their own good. The film attempts to do some interesting things. I particularly like how they showcased Ellie's book cutting in with Henry Cavill and John Cena executing what she was narrating. And this is all fine and dandy if the movie didn't blatantly mislead the target audience into what they were going to see on screen. It's a very mild spoiler to say this, but I have to mention it to anyone who wants to go see this movie just so that you warn yourself and you know ahead of time going into the film. There is something extremely egregiously cynical of the marketing of this movie. If you're going into this movie wanting to see Henry Cavill, John Cena, and Dua Lipa, since you know they are featured front and center on the poster and trailers, save yourself some time. They're on screen for a total of 10 minutes. And if the trailers didn't rely so heavily on these actors, I wouldn't mind their cameo-sized roles. In fact, I actually enjoyed every time they were on screen together. But they're not on screen together that much. (laughs) The point needs to be made that this misdirection is extremely unfair. It would be like if Disney created a trailer for the movie The Marvels, where they show Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and Nick Fury. Oh, wait. Disney did the same fucking thing. This is all bullshit. (laughs) I know marketing and expectations shouldn't hurt a film's merit, especially because they're trying to protect the plot twists of this film. So I won't center my argument that Argyle is a bad movie because I didn't get more Henry Cavill or John Cena. But there are so many other examples of why this movie isn't good outside of that. Let's start by talking about the protagonists of the story, Ellie Conway and Aiden Wilde. I give a lot of credit to Bryce Dallas Howard for taking on a role that is so physically demanding of her and not giving in to requests of the studio to have her lose weight and get in shape. Bryce's middle-aged every woman appearance fits right into the role of Ellie Conway perfectly, and I do see why the decision to keep her out of shape keeps the plot twist well hidden. However, I do find that when the twist happens and the character becomes someone else entirely, I have trouble buying into some of the stunts that she is performing on screen. It's kind of weird seeing Bryce Dallas Howard flying across the screen the way she does. Now, please don't take that as me shaming Bryce's body figure or anything like that. Once again, I think her decision to remain at her current weight throughout the film's final hour is commendable. It's a solid way of normalizing body acceptance and dysmorphia. But I would have liked the film to explore the aspects a bit more with Ellie. Perhaps showcase that her being out of shape makes it harder for her to perform things that she did when she was younger. You know, like the leaps, the jumps, the spins. The fallacy for me of a strong female protagonist is that they have to be perfect to be strong. But I think that having a flaw makes them much more compelling and empathetic. Now take Wonder Woman for an example. She's super strong, she's super intelligent, she can do everything that basically Superman and the Flash can do. But what makes her so compelling is that her trust and her love for human beings outweighs her strength. That could be to the detriment of her actions, or it could be to the strength of her character. In the original Wonder Woman film, you see her grow as a character because she learns that the world isn't as loving as she is. She learns of the callousness of men, the greed, the hostility, the violence. And so that embarks her on a journey to discover what she believes in, what she needs to fight for. As for the character journey that Ellie goes on here, 
she's a very flawed character which makes you empathize with her throughout the entire film until it's time for her to become the Terminator, so to speak. Now, I think Bryce is fantastic. In other words, I haven't really been a fan of hers. Um, I'm talking about movies like Spider-Man 3, Jurassic World, Black Mirror. She's been fine in everything she does. She's super attractive. She's beautiful. She's amazing as a person. But her acting is a bit pedestrian. I think she does good work here. In Argyle, I think she's finally given some diverse work. And it pays off. She has good comedic chops, despite becoming a bit annoying in some parts. Her character arc more than justifies the growing pains of seeing her cry and whine throughout most of the movie. And after all, she is portraying an ordinary woman thrown into a secret world of espionage. So you'd be freaking out also. So don't hold her freaking out and being all frenzied against her. I think that that fits the character well. However, for me, the strongest aspect of the film is Sam Rockwell. The guy just oozes charisma. A lot of people forget that this is a man who won an Academy Award not too long ago. You may only see him as the goofy arms dealer Justin Hammer from Iron Man 2 or the crazy ex-boyfriend of Drew Barrymore in Charlie's Angels, but his role in Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri is Academy Award worthy. That is what got him his Best Supporting Actor award. Sam Rockwell carries this movie, and he carries it so fucking hard. I think that if it weren't for him, this would be a very, very difficult movie to watch. Aiden Wilde is a fantastic spin on the spy movie trope. He isn't suave, dashing, or particularly smart. He's just confident in his work, enough to get out of tight situations. Once again, a flawed spy character. Almost 70% of the action sequences in this movie are performed with him destroying a horde of enemies while Ellie is sobbing uncontrollably in the corner of the room. He elevates Bryce Dallas Howard's work because the two of them have decent chemistry together. She's the straight man, and he's the comic relief. He gets a chunk of his laughs from the bit where he has with Alfie the cat, who's heavily featured in the marketing of the film. And the two of them have good rapport and chemistry as well. (laughs) This movie is obviously a fish-out-of-water action comedy with spy intrigue and mystery thrown in, so I got what I expected out of these characters in this movie. Same can be said about the villains, but that isn't necessarily a good thing in this case. You see... When you bring on multi-Emmy Award winning and Academy Award nominated actor Brian Cranston, you expect him to add gravitas and weight to your picture. Cranston is so horrifically one-noted and misused in this movie, it physically made me depressed. Argyle to Cranston is what I liken to Green Hornet with Christoph Waltz. Both phenomenal generational acting talents hampered with a dogshit script and mustache-twirling villain arc. Outside of a scene where he's in London, I do believe that Brian Cranston might have shot every single scene he's in in this movie on one set in a single day or even a week. Which leads me to my biggest complaint about the entire movie, and that is the ridiculous amount of double-crossing and MacGuffins. Now look, spy movies are obviously supposed to have plenty of plot twists and double-crosses, but this movie will give you whiplash with the amount of neck-twisting that it tries to pull off in the third act. At first, the movie is pretty easy to follow along, but when you get past the surface layer shock value that Matthew Vaughn is trying to manipulate you into, it's too stupid for its own good. Everything kind of falls apart. The whole movie doesn't make any fucking sense. Can anyone tell me what the fuck the master key does in this movie? 
What was director Ritter trying to accomplish? The movie doesn't have the time to explain it because it spends so much of its runtime trying to circle around its glaring MacGuffin and plot holes. And don't get me started on whatever the fuck they paid Samuel L. Jackson to do here. The man got a bag for simply sitting down in front of a computer screen and watching a Laker game the whole time. I'm not kidding. Almost every single minute of Sam Jackson's runtime in this film is him sitting down watching a Laker game. Now I know what you're thinking. Is this movie really that bad? Now look, it's not a dog shit movie per se. There is some entertainment value buried beneath the mediocrity. The action sequences are what you have come to expect out of Matthew Vaughn. They're really energetic, creative, and hyper-stylized. In some sequences, the stylization really shines. For example, the best scene in the entire film comes in the third act for me, when Ellie and Aiden have to defend themselves in the bunker of Director Ritter's uh, complex. A horde of goons come after them while they arm themselves with colorful canisters of gas and smoke. Amidst the smoke, they are performing a hilariously deadly dance to Snow Patrol's run. One particular shot I enjoyed from this comes from each of the partner's perspectives in the middle of their dance. In a steady cam swinging shot, we see Ellie's face alive, full of love and wonder, staring into Aiden's eyes as Aiden aims a pistol right behind her head and is blasting away their enemies. The shot reverses and we see Ellie blowing the bad guys away while she's holding on to Aiden's embrace. It's very funny. And I think if this movie was rated R, they could have gone full ham with this sequence. Sadly, because it's PG-13, you don't see much blood or anything like that. It's very toned down compared to his other films. The humor reminds me of moments of his other films like the Kentucky church fight scene where they played it to the tune of Freebird. And then there's also the Golden Circle fight between Pedro Pascal, Colin Firth, and Taron Egerton where they fought each other to the tune of Word Up. Unfortunately, the rest of the film is bogged down by some horrific CGI. The opening scene alone, as hilarious as it is, has a shot of Henry Cavill using a yellow buggy to board slide down a rail. It really does look like it was rendered using a Nintendo Switch. It's that bad. (laughs) Maybe that's what they were going for. But to me, it looks really cheap. Really freaking cheap. I'll get more into detail with some of the bad uses of CGI when we talk about spoilers at the end of this episode, but for now, I think it's time we give Argyle its review score. Featuring a frustrating story with some heinous action, severely underserved acting performances, and a bizarre cliffhanger, Argyle is not the return to form that we wanted to see for Matthew Vaughn. It's emblematic of all the critiques that have plagued the filmmaker for the past eight years, and it seems like he is beginning a new franchise with a bit of a dud. My final score for Argyle is 2 out of 5. I wanted to love this movie, but instead I found myself irritated by some of the narrative decisions they took. I think there's enough action here to keep the casual audience entertained, but it isn't a very good movie overall. I would say catch it when it comes to Peacock, Max, or streaming services. The divisive reception to Argyle is one to keep an eye on, so let's move on to the third act of our show, Beyond the Final Scene. Critics have not been kind to Matthew Vaughn for this one. Argyle checks in on Rotten Tomatoes at 34% rotten. Critic consensus is that Argyle gets some mileage out of its silly, energetic spin on the spy thriller, but ultimately wears out its welcome with a convoluted plot and overlong runtime. 
Oh boy, I I agree. <laughs> Audiences, on the other hand, are slightly kinder to this movie, handing the film a 70% fresh score. With opinions all over the place, let's take a look at a one-star review from audience members on Rotten Tomatoes. Charles T. made me laugh and reiterates a glaring issue I had with this movie. Charles writes, The computer-generated action segments ruined it for me. Am I watching an action movie or a cartoon? One star. (laughs) It's true. That CGI of Henry Cavill and the yellow buggy is not going to leave my mind anytime soon. Now, On the flip side, here's a person who gave Argyle a five-star review. And good for them if they enjoyed it. (laughs) Sophie's five-star review gets one thing right. She says, A little mad, but really fun. I found the action scenes and romantic elements very engaging. Sam Rockwell is why I loved it so much and why I would watch it again. I agree, Sophie. Sam Rockwell was awesome in this movie, and Hollywood needs more of him. Now before we close the spoiler-free portion of the show, let's go over some filmmaking factoids. Now for our first factoid of the day, Matthew Vaughn cast Henry Cavill because he needed someone who was born to play James Bond. In fact, Henry Cavill was a finalist to play James Bond in Casino Royale in 2006, but they rejected him for being too young. He was 22 at the time they filmed that movie. Speaking of spy movies, because Henry Cavill didn't get the role of James Bond, he's gone on to portray a spy in three other films, The Cold Light of Day in 2012, The Man from Uncle in 2015, and Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018. Pretty cool. I guess there was a stereotypical look to Henry Cavill after all, huh? (laughs) I mentioned some horrific uses of CGI, and one of the unfortunate casualties of the CGI was Alfie the Cat. Those of you who listen to the show know that I am a huge cat lover. I love cats. And Alfie the Cat was so adorable. I wanted to see more of Alfie in this movie. In fact, Alfie is played by Chip who is a cat owned by Matthew Vaughn's wife, Claudia Schiffer. I I do have to say that shot of the computer-generated Alfie jumping up the trampoline is one of the worst things I've ever seen. (laughs) I hated that shot so much. (laughs) Now, staying on the topic of cats, Bryce Dallas Howard cited Taylor Swift as an inspiration for her character, explaining that Taylor is a cat lady. She got this awesome backpack with a cat in it, and she walks around with it all the time. She loves a good Argyle sweater, and there's sort of an unapologetic dorkiness about her. (laughs) I can see that, especially at the end when Ellie goes blonde. (laughs) Now at one point, Bryce Dallas Howard's character kicks off her high heels and changes into more durable boots. This may be a tongue-in-cheek reference to one of her previous films, Jurassic World in which her character was mocked by fans for wearing high heels while out running a (laughs) T-Rex. That's pretty clever. I didn't notice that on my viewing, but uh, I'm going to look out for that the next time I watch this movie. Pretty funny. And our final factoid is a hilarious one. In a tweet from 2021, popular movie news account Discussing Film spoiled the entire Argyle film unintentionally just months before the movie began shooting. We'll talk about it more in the spoiler bit of this episode, but we'll leave it at that. And there we have it, folks. There's my spoiler-free review of Matthew Vaughn's Argyle. Did you enjoy it, or did you cringe at the CGI like I did? Let me know on social media by following the show on Instagram and X with the username PCWithGill. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube so you don't miss an episode. 
I'll return next week for the Guilty Pleasures Valentine's Edition. Stay tuned after the song for our spoiler discussion of Argyle, if you've seen the movie or don't mind being spoiled. But if this is where the train stops for you, I hope you have a good week, and as always, go catch a movie. And welcome back. Let's get back to that Discussing Film tweet I mentioned earlier. In July of 2021, Discussing Film reported, Matthew Vaughn is set to direct a thriller about a best-selling female novelist who turns out to be a world-class spy suffering from amnesia. Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, and Samuel L. Jackson are in talks to star in the film. What a big fucking disaster of a tweet! It gives away the whole twist! The whole marketing of this film is that she's writing a book that happens to be coming to life, but in 2021, they let it out of the bag that she's actually the spy that inspired the book, that she's suffering from amnesia. Had you never seen the tweet before the film, you would have went into this movie thinking that the big twist was going to be along the lines of Henry Cavill and John Cena were real the whole time, or that Ellie had some kind of power to write fiction into reality. But the twist turns out to be that Argyle's books are recollected memories from a CIA agent known as Rachel Kyle. R. Kyle. Get it? <laughs> and Ellie was actually the agent Rachel. Rachel was Ellie prior to an explosion that rendered her with amnesia. While investigating Brian Cranston's secret organization, The Division, Rachel was working with a hacker named Bakunin for some stupid fucking code MacGuffin. Ellie double-crosses Bakunin and kills him, but then she gets double-crossed herself and an explosion happens. The story twists and turns a bit too much here and there to be anything coherent to cling on to. Was Ellie indoctrinated by the Division before her accident? Why didn't the CIA get involved after her first Argyle book became popular? Especially since her books are representative of real-life operations that she went on with the CIA. It doesn't make a lot of sense there. I do like that Henry Cavill and John Cena were basically representations of Rachel and Aiden and their adventures together. <laughs> I can't be the only one that thought that John Cena and Henry Cavill were going to make out at the end. <laughs> I thought that's where this was all going to lead to. But, I mean, the problem is they kind of undercut that whole thing because Henry Cavill shows up in the flesh at the very end of the film. What the fuck was that leading up into? And who the fuck is he in that sense? He's wearing a mullet. He has this weird Texas accent. And then that's it. The movie ends. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? It leaves us in such a weird, bizarre state of mind when we're leaving the theater. I fucking hated the way it ended. Now for Catherine O'Hara. I didn't talk a lot about her during the actual spoiler-free review of the show, and that's because it's hard to talk about her character without actually revealing the plot twist behind her. In the earlier stages of the movie, we're introduced to her as the mother of Ellie, but it turns out that she is Ellie's fake mother, after Brian Cranston kidnapped Ellie and indoctrinated her and brainwashed her. 
Brian Cranston and Catherine O'Hara took on the roles of being her fake parents. On paper, the thought of the Home Alone mom being evil is fucking hilarious. I don't think I've ever seen Catherine O'Hara do a villain role before. <laughs> but amidst this, her death fake out, the Winter Soldier gimmick at the end of the movie, and her weird Shit's Creek accent being brought into this film, it's also far-fetched and insane to comprehend. I really think it sucks, but Catherine O'Hara could be nominated for a Razzie next year for Worst Actress. She was pretty bad in this movie. Another really big question that this movie posed, what the fuck was the point of Samuel L. Jackson, Sofia Boutella, and the goddamn Kingsman crossover teases? Most of them don't make any sense, and because Samuel L. Jackson and Sofia Boutella were in the Kingsman movies, how the fuck are they in this universe also? The movie's all over the place narratively. It's frustrating. And that leads me to my next point, the mid-credit tease. It's perhaps the most egregiously confusing part of the whole film. We open on a cottage in the woods with the name The King's Man on the window. A young man in his 20s approaches a bar and asks the bartender for a particular drink with ingredients, much like James Bond would. The bartender obliges and pulls out a silencer pistol. He then asks the young man what his name is. He says his name is Aubrey Argyle, and we slowly pan out to a movie poster that reads, Argyle, the movie, book one, coming soon. I I don't know what to make of this. I don't think anyone in the theater knew what to make of this. If the crossover is indeed real between Argyle and Kingsman, are the Argyle books inspired by the actions of the Kingsman Secret Service? Hell, I mean, we even see a Statesman whiskey bottle in the middle of the movie, so it's not outside the realm of possibilities that these two are the same universe. And if so, are the Kingsmen a fictional story based on the Argyle books? There's so many questions that are left unanswered, and it just fucks with your mind a little bit. If this was a better film franchise, I'd be kind of excited, but the point is the movie wasn't very good, so these type of teases just left me confused and bewildered. I said that this movie needed to be a return to form, which it clearly isn't. I think this movie kind of sucks, but why did they have to drag the Kingsman into it? Now look, I want Matthew Vaughn to succeed. We've seen what he can do when he's on his game, but I don't think I'm on board for future installments if they're going to be like this. This movie had all the makings of a good film that ended up being sour, and now it's soured another franchise in its path. There's probably another 20 minutes that I could go into some plot details, but I hit on the ones that I mainly wanted to talk about because they legitimately left me angry and confused. But that's all I have for this one. I'm so incredibly disappointed with Argyle, and I hope that there's a lesson to be learned here going forward towards the next film and whatever the hell Matthew Vaughn's going to be doing from here on out. I hope you guys stay safe, and I will see you all next week.